the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 606. Oh, wait, I got that backwards. Episode 606 for Sunday, May 22nd, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show that's like car talk for Apple geeks, you come, you send us your questions, you bring us your cool stuff found, you bring us your tips, we share it all, we try to answer your questions, either individually or collectively or all of the above, with the goal being that we all learn at least three new things each and every time we get together, and we usually, not just hit, we usually exceed that goal. Sponsors for this episode include a, a couple of new ones uh, that I'm really excited to tell you about. In fact, uh, Eero at uh, Eero.com slash MGG. Uh, you can bathe your, your house in Wi-Fi very, very easily. They're doing something very cool. So I'm excited about that. And, and uh, MGG coupon gets you free shipping there. We'll talk more about that. M Taylor at the letter M T A I L O R.com where coupon code MGG saves you 15 bucks off of tailored clothing and uh it's very cool and geeky how they how they custom fit your clothing for you using your iphone i'll talk about i'll talk about that in a little bit fresh books at freshbooks.com slash mgg where you can get 30 days free of their awesome uh invoicing and accounting software and then squarespace at squarespace.com slash mgg or coupon code mgg gets you 10 percent off their awesome web design and hosting and all of that here Back in Durham, New Hampshire, as of about, uh, well, I don't know, six hours ago or something, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Great, Dave. While you were gone, I solved an issue that was bugging the heck out of me. Talk to me. I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to everybody, <laughs> assuming you're listening. Um. So as you recall, I had an issue where I had a meltdown on my systems uh, based on iCloud, and I was never able to repair it, though we got some good suggestions. We may share some of those tips later. I think it was keychain related and certificate related. But anyway, so I recreated my systems. But what I also have been doing as of late, Dave, is I was redoing my backup strategy. Mm -hmm. Because the old backups were really kind of useless because, you know, I changed the username and some other things. So basically I said, well, let me, let me recreate the backups. But what I've been doing as of late for both Carbon Copy Cloner and Time Machine is I decided, so in the case of Carbon Copy Cloner, I've been encrypting the drives. And we learned about that recently because I saw it chewing my I.O. while it was doing it one episode. But then I also chose to encrypt my time machine backups. And you sure. can do this. Um, but you have to, and so one caution here is you have to do this when you initially create the backup. And you're going to see when you select the disk, there's going to be a little checkbox saying encrypt backup. You have to choose it at that point in time. Once you create your first backup, you cannot sure, because then they, choose to encrypt it. Yeah, because um, you have I to... I suppose technically you could, but it's not an option with the current time machine implementation. Right, so, yeah, from the command line, you probably could. You're probably right, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, there's no UI for it. So this is something new that I did, and I think this is why I started seeing problems. And the problem I was running into on both machines, uh, so I have two machines, and you know I back up typically to my disk station. And so I would create a new backup, 
And what, what happens is the time machine will do a integrity check of the backup file. And if you do it to a NAS, it's going to be a, a disk image or a sparse bundle. Pretty much the same thing. Sure. And what was happening is that it would create the initial backup. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of backups later, I would get the dreaded message. Um, something's wrong with your backup. I'm going to have, uh, you know, I'm going to lock it. I'm going to make it read only. And you got to make a new one. And this kept happening and kept happening. And I was like, what is wrong? At first, I thought it was something wrong with DSM-6. So uh, on your Synology, Synology yeah. has upgraded, made a major upgrade recently. And I thought maybe they broke the time machine functionality on the Synology. So I'm like, all right, well, let me try to do it to my Drobo. Same problem. And the same thing happens. So that's good, that that's good troubleshooting right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you make, when there's lots of changes uh, that happen all at once, it's hard to know which one was the issue. And it often you forget about the one that was the issue. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but you know, I really, so one way to solve it, I suppose, would be to not encrypt the backups, but I really want to encrypt the backups because I have many secrets that I, I, I have to uh, protect. I assure you. And I'm not going to tell you what they are because <laughs> <laughs> then they wouldn't be secret anymore. Right. But anyways, and, and you know, this was bugging me and I kept trying to make new, and I'm like, you know, something is wrong here and it's not me, you know, and it's not the Synology and right. it's not the, you know, it's not the disc. It's something with Time Machine or so I thought. But then what happened is, uh, as some people may have seen, and if you haven't, uh, Apple recently did a uh, update to El Capitan 10.11.5. What is also in that back uh, in that update is what they call Security Update 2016-003, and uh, I will of course uh, put a link to that, which we will put in the show notes so you can read it. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just peruse that because it's very interesting. All the things that they fixed and they fixed a lot of things here. They're security related, but some of them are functionality related. And I'm almost certain one of these two were the issue, Dave. So they had a couple of bugs or issues. They don't call them bugs. They call them issues. <laughs> so they had one issue with disc images and the description of the issue that they repaired was a memory corruption issue existed in the parsing of disc images. Uh, okay. Uh, and oh, this issue was this issue was addressed through improved memory handling. You know how they word that nicely? They didn't say it's a bug. They they improved the memory handling, which basically means they weren't handling it. This so, is a, this is interesting because normally I, you know, when when looking at what Apple offers in these point updates of OS X, I always look. At, I never look at the, the contents of the security update. I mean, I see that it's there and it's like, okay, good. You know, they, they fixed whatever, you know, patches people have brought up since the, the last one. Great. I never really thought about it in terms of a bug fix, but it sounds like you did. That's interesting, man. That's, um, that's, well, that's good. So just to wrap it up here. So disk images, they had an issue with them, but then they also had an issue with disutility. And here is the issue. And they say the impact was disutility failed to compress and encrypt disk images. Now, remember I said yeah, I did right. an encrypted time machine backup, which is to a sparse bundle, which is a disk image. And they basically say the description of the issue is incorrect keys are being used to encrypt disk images. This issue was addressed by updating the encryption keys. So, that so I'm almost have, that certain fixed it for you that too. the combination of these yeah. two issues that they repaired, because the thing is, I have not had the issue since. So I had an and issue with, with disk utility this week. I have oh, in, yeah, yeah. in this Go. machine. Yeah. 
It, well, in this machine here in the studio, it's the the pre-fusion drive 27-inch iMac from 2011. Uh, so I have a 250 gig SSD and a one terabyte hard drive. And they're both the, uh, you know, they're, they're both addressed separately. They're, I never fusion drive them. And by default, Apple never did either because it didn't exist when this machine was shipped. So uh, I guess I had blown away my 250 gig partition when I migrated this machine up here because I didn't want to keep that around anymore. It was what I was using as a clone previously, and, and I didn't want to confuse any data. So I just, I, I deleted the partition. And I realized, well, wait a minute. I'm, you know, uh, I've only got 750 gigs in use on this other, on this drive. So maybe I should see if I can expand the partition. Disk utility with 10.11.5, so whatever they fixed didn't fix this, will not see that there is another 250 gigs on this drive. It'll tell me it's a one terabyte disc and it'll tell me there is a 750 gig partition and that that partition is using a hundred percent of the space. It's like guys, um, there's a little reconciliation mm. issue here. Prosoft's drive genius. No problem. Sees it just fine. But, uh, but not, not this. So I, it, you know, it's just it, disc utility's gotten worse and worse and it's just how it's going to go. Hey, um, I did a bunch of traveling this week, both virtually and, and physically. So I have a couple of quick stories that I want to tell before we get into things. So uh, first of all, I want to thank the, all the folks down in Houston, Michael and Phil and um, uh, Ryan, everybody that, that, that made it possible for me to come down there. And, and Michael did yeoman's work driving me all over creation because uh, Houston traffic this weekend was it was insane. He, he dropped me at the airport yesterday about an hour before my flight. My flight was delayed by 30 minutes because of rain. I landed in Boston only 30 minutes after he got home. So this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was insane traffic. So thank you for everybody. I spoke down there actually just yesterday morning and it went really, really well. I got to meet a lot of great people and it was, it was a blast. Um, earlier. It, so thanks for having me earlier in the week. I, uh, spoke virtually in Atlanta and I always refrain or hesitate from doing Skype presentations because uh, it's always a little weird. It feels, you know, disjointed. And a big part of that I realized uh, was that these user groups go through great lengths to position their Skype machines so that usually, and if you, if you don't do this, you, it's a great thing for the presenter. They position their, their cameras so that I can see the attendees, which is great for taking questions and that sort of thing. It really helps make it interactive. The problem is if I'm doing a keynote presentation, um, keynote takes over the whole screen. So I can't see you when we're on Skype together. And I, and, and I got online with them. Uh, their meeting starts at 7 PM. I got online with, at 7 PM. And then, you know, my part of it was supposed to start at 730. And I started thinking, well, maybe I could grab my iPad and, and, or my, you know, my laptop and have that also looped into the Skype video connection so that I could see what was going on. And, and maybe that would be a good thing. And, and then I thought, you know, if only I could get keynote to operate in a window and I started looking at that and no, it won't present to a window. It won't present to a window, but you can export as HTML. I thought, okay, so this is now like 710, 7.15. The people in it, no one's heard this story. The people in Atlanta don't even know that this happened. So they're doing their Q&A and their, their, you know, announcements and all that stuff. 
And I thought, well, if I export it as HTML, if that works, if it's functional, then I can just share, because Skype will let you share just a window, and then that would be great. So I'd start this HTML export, and I've got a lot of stuff in my in the presa that I did for him, like a lot of videos and things like that. And uh, and so this thing starts going, but the progress bar is creeping along as time is creeping along. And I, I felt like I was in a spy movie, you know, watching one of those progress bars while knowing that the... Uh, you know, the guards are coming to get me or whatever, and I'm trying to do this copy. And so it marched along and it marched along. And about four minutes before I was supposed to start my presentation, the, uh, the, the you know, the, the export finished. So I got to look and see, and I launched it in a window. If you've never done this before, it's worth checking out. This is like Keynote in a web browser, all self-contained. It's amazing how well uh, it works. You get... All my videos worked. All the transitions worked fine. Uh, I even, you can float your mouse to the edge of the window and you get a slide browser. You don't get a presenter's display this way uh, because it's just presenting the one thing in the window. But short of that, it's everything that you would want. And uh, it really worked well. So I did that. I put it in a window and shared just the window and then I could see them and they could ask questions and it really felt much more natural. So, uh, so I share that for anyone that, that, uh, has to do anything with keynote it's also not a bad way to have a backup because then you can present from any machine with a web browser it doesn't even need to have a copy of keynote on it so it's not a bad thing to throw on your thumb drive if you're if you're a presenter so i share that that's my uh that's my story i also got to spend uh some time fixing a speaker with with a guy that both looks like and has a shop that looks like the uh, the, 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 the set of doc Brown's crazy, you know, barn garage lab, uh, from back to the future. And, and that was a real blast, um, soldering and desoldering stuff. This guy was a master with a soldering iron and spent a couple hours together. It was like therapy, but also fixed the speaker. So it was good, but that's, you know, that's where I go. So is it time? Can we, uh, can we start the show, John? Sure. Okay. <laughs> A little tea goes a long way, especially on a Sunday morning. All right. I guess we go to Scott. We've got some tips from, uh, from recent shows, and Scott's going to help us get started with that. Where, where am I here? There we are. Now I, now I know where I am. Okay. Uh, Scott says, I wanted to share this with you because it was Mac Geek Geekab 604 that was bringing the start of accessibility uh, to menu bar stats. So if you, if you remember, we mentioned menu bar stats as a kind of iStat menus alternative back in show 604. Uh, listener Scott says, uh, when, well, he reminds me that when we mentioned iStat menu, uh, he had tried working with the developer of iStat menu uh, to address accessibility, which the app doesn't really have uh, and with no success. So Scott says when he reached out to the developer, when he heard about Menu bar stats here on uh, Mac Geekab. He reached out to the developer of Menu Bar Stats and told him, "Hey, look, you know your app isn't accessible. But here's some things you could do." And now Menu Bar Stats is accessible. And there's a great blog post that uh, the the developer of Menu Bar Stats, Fabrice, put up about this. And uh, I love it when something like this happens when we can, you know, kind of as a community come together and and help make these apps better for everyone. So it's. Uh, it's a great little story, and I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you doing it, Scott. Of course, obviously, I appreciate Fabrice uh, updating the app so quickly. 
So, uh, so it's a, it's a nice little happy story. So I like it. It's good. Right, John? Oh yeah. Um, so voiceover, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever used it, but I'm going to, uh, so voiceover, I guess you have to, the, the developer has to intentionally map a speech command to a feature of the program, I guess yeah. is okay. And that's not automatic. In. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's too bad. The, the Django, the Django, right? That's yeah. the ice stat. Yeah. It. I'm surprised huh. they haven't done it. I mean, it obviously a very popular app, but I don't know. You know that's how it works. Um, our first note about, uh, we've, uh, we've been, I've been using logic quite a bit and I ran into an issue earlier this week that I was able to solve and I figured I would share it with you. We're doing some, uh, songs for a fling. Uh, I don't know, whatever. We're doing a collection of songs, uh, to, for the band, one of the bands I play in called fling, a uh, bunch of originals. And we've been recording them here in my studio. Mostly sometimes guys will record tracks at home and we'll assemble them here, but we've been using logic pro 10. And it's been great. Uh, and then we've started doing some, you know, when, once we got kind of the raw tracks recorded, we started doing some mixing and a little bit of mastering. And as we were going through the, this kind of, you know, mastering process, there were some things we realized we wanted to change and uh, we wanted to re-record one portion of a, a song, actually just a lyric. And so we did that, but we couldn't get it to work with low latency. So uh, for whatever reason, Logic was really slowing down this one track, so much so that a singer couldn't sing in sync with the song. And so I was like, okay, so I rebooted the computer because sometimes latency stuff, we're using a combination of USB and Firewire audio that's actually very efficient, but still kept happening. So I opened another track, no problem. Latency, you know, via the same channels, no, no latency. And when I say latency, I just mean that no delay or no perceptible delay. Um, when the singer would sing, they'd hear themselves back in mostly real time and could hear the song in sync and the recording would happen in sync and all, the, all was good. So it drove us crazy because it was like, wait a minute, you know, this track's fine. This track's not. What's different? We started turning off effects in the track, thinking effects were slowing it down because we're doing, you know, we'd started doing some mastering, which meant putting some compressors in and, and things like that. And that didn't help. And then uh, digging in, I found in uh, preferences general oh sorry preferences audio there is a plug-in latency compensation checkbox uh, or section i should say and there is a there is a a uh, checkbox for low latency mode and when you enable low latency mode a slider comes alive and you get to set a latency limit so what's happening with this compensation is logic is saying all right i know that with all these plugins here, the worst offender or the combination of all of them are going to delay the song, you know, or delay playback by whatever, 70 milliseconds, 80 milliseconds, something like that. So it delays everything so that when you play it back, you hear the result of all the plugins and all the processing, which is what you want when you're playing it back. But when you're recording along with it, the delay you can't have because otherwise things get crazy. So when you enable this low latency mode, you can set a, and the UI for this is very confusing, but what you're doing is setting a limit and saying, okay, I will allow up to X milliseconds of latency. And I, you know, I left it at the default, which is five, which is very, very little latency. And, uh, and as soon as I did that, then everything was in sync. I lost some of the effects because it just turned those off while I was recording so that we could record in sync with the thing. But, uh, 
but it obviously made it possible to record. So yeah, if you ever run into that issue, it's a very hidden preference. Uh, and it, it's not clearly labeled in my opinion. Uh, I had to read quite through quite a few things before I realized why checking randomly checking this box worked, but, but now it's obvious what it does. So it, it allows you to set a limit and that's a very handy thing. So I'll put a link in the, um, in the show notes to a, a forum that a forum post that really helped display it or helped, uh, helped explain it, I should say. So anyway, so there's, uh, there's our first logic question or tip for you. And, uh, and with that in mind, do you have any thoughts about that, John? I, I, I know you're not a, a logic guy, but you know, latency and all that stuff makes sense to you. So I figured I'd ask if you have anything to add. To yeah. That. My own conclusion is that digital audio is, is clearly inferior because you always run into these sort of things. I think you should go all analog. Yeah. You know, the problem is even, <laughs> even with the, the issues with digital audio, the flexibility that you have with it and not to mention the ability to do, I mean, if we were to do this with analog audio, we'd need all sorts of different gear that we just don't have. Um, and you know, every, every piece, every plugin that we just, you know, randomly drop in, I've got like three compressors running and, you know, just doing different things. Um, you'd have to buy outboard gear for each one of those. And then you couldn't go from track to track if you did all analog or you couldn't go from song to song. You'd have to finish one song, then reset the board. And, you know, so there don't get me wrong. There are benefits to analog audio, but uh, oh, no. I, I just but efficiency think isn't to, one of them. Yeah, I just think back to how certain technologies like remember in the old days with your cable box where you could just blast through the channels like there was no tomorrow. Mm. And then they went digital and then everything's really, and you know, you can't channel surf as quickly because, no. you know, it has to, you know, sync and encrypt and tune and all that stuff. So I'm just analog for some things, yeah. but, um, but clearly for audio, you, you get many benefits like get, all the one. I mean, I'm just looking at all the options here in this one control panel that you have. And, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a plus and a minus. The plus is that you could do all sorts of magical things. The downside is, yeah, you may have to dig. You got it. Yeah. Well, and that was the problem is that, you know, I troubleshot it down to the point where I, I didn't even have to close logic. I just, you know, flip flop back and forth between two different songs and one behaved fine and the other didn't. It was like, okay, well, at least I know it's not a hardware issue with the computer. You know, I'd sort of narrowed it down, but the problem is this setting is a global setting. So I wasn't looking in global settings. I was looking in track per track settings, but obviously this global setting matters because that one track had more effects kind of layered into it than, than the other did. So the other one wasn't hitting any limit that mattered to us. So anyway, it's fun. All right. Um, I, let's go to, uh, let's, let's play, uh, let's play Brian's comment here. Hi guys, this is Brian in Danbury, the Connecticut. Um, just wanted to piggyback on one of your, of your more recent shows about the TP-Link that's that series equipment. Um, I picked up an AC3200 after the Christmas to replace uh, an Apple Airport Extreme uh, AC, the, the router that was not performing as well as, it, as I had expected. Um, so the TP-Link 3200 is phenomenal. I enjoy all of the, the features and the settings, and the coverage is much, much better. How, however, I still had a little bit of uh, the, some coverage, the, the issues in my uh, the, the circa 1927 home with plaster and lath and all kinds of the crazy stuff in the house. Um, 
so I, I recently picked up uh, the TP-Link uh, AC1750 uh, extender. It's the RE450 model. And uh, I paired that thing up. I plugged it in. And it's in my kitchen, so it covers the rest of uh, my outside patio and my unattached of the garage. And I got to tell you, I now have the coverage that I never, ever thought I would ever have throughout the house, the outside where we sit, in most of the yard, even across the street when I wait with my kid on the bus. Uh, <laughs> so the, uh, I'm a shout out for all the TP-Link stuff, even though they are, you know, making us angry with their new rules about uh, the DDRT and everything else. But um, good job, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. Yeah, it, it's... um. Well, it's a different world we live in now than just a year ago uh, or, or certainly 10 years ago in terms of being able to do true wireless extensions or, or using a wireless backbone for extensions in a functional way as opposed to just a frustrating way, which is what it used to be. Uh, and that, John, is the lead in that I'm looking for to talk about our first set of sponsors, unless you've got something to add. Nope. Let's go. All right. Been waiting a long time for this. Our first sponsor, Eero, E-E-R-O, is one of the reasons that we started calling 2016 the year of the router. And if you remember when we started calling 2016 the year of the router, the reason was finally companies are coming out with products that allow us to do all these things that have been possible, frankly, for a number of years, but allow us to do them in our homes in a way that is simple. And what Eero does is bathe your home in Wi-Fi. That's what happens once you've set up Eero. No more dead spots. You just have it work. And the beauty is it's not complicated for you to set up. What they're doing is very complicated. They create a wireless mesh, actually. So it's a system of multiple devices. This is like enterprise-grade Wi-Fi for your home. But it totally works and it's easy. They sell them a la carte or you can get them in a three pack. And the three pack's the way to start. You should get a better deal on it. And uh, you take the first one. They're, they're all the same. You take the first one, you plug it into your cable modem. Great. Now it gets a connection and now you've got Wi-Fi from this thing. You use your iPhone to set the thing up or your Android phone if you've got one. Uh, very, very easy. There's no complex process. It's actually just a couple of screens and you're done. Then you take the second one and you plug it into power, and that's it, somewhere else in your house. And it goes and gets a signal from the first one. And if you remember, now with 802.11ac, you can actually get a really fast signal from Wi-Fi access point to Wi-Fi access point over Wi-Fi. So that's what happens when you plug in the second one. When you plug in the third one is when it becomes really magical because the third one decides which of the first two to connect to. Again, it's creating this mesh. And then if you need it, you can add a fourth one or more. And they just intelligently find the best path back to the source so that you have great Wi-Fi everywhere in your home. Super easy to set up. and. A deal for you. Go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com slash M-G-G. And then use coupon code M-G-G. That qualifies you for free overnight shipping. You can solve this problem tomorrow. I'm really, really stoked about this. 
We're going to be talking about Euro quite a bit because I've been playing with it here too. And uh, it's just, it's, it really is what we need. And, uh, and I'm glad we live in a time when we can get it. Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com slash M-G-G. Coupon code M-G-G gets you free shipping. Our thanks to Eero, not only for sponsoring the show, but for doing what they do. You run a business? Do you ever sell your services? Maybe you help people with computers. You want to start charging for it. Maybe you do something else. FreshBooks.com, our second sponsor here, is the easiest way I've ever seen to start invoicing customers. Because here's the thing. You're not going to think about invoicing your customers when you're starting your business. It's not the thing you got into business to do, right? But it is a necessary part of your business because if you're not invoicing customers, chances are they're not paying you. And well, that's not so good for business. So FreshBooks takes care of this and they do it in such an easy way. Visit freshbooks.com slash MGG. You can start your 30-day trial of FreshBooks. It's like, it takes like 30 seconds to create the first invoice. It's literally that simple. And then once you've got the invoice in there, it lets you track when the people have paid. And if they haven't, it can send out friendly reminders for you. Uh, you can have it set up credit cards so that you can take your take credit cards, right? Super easy. And that way, it makes if it's easier for people to pay you, well, then it's easier for you to get money. Right. I mean, it's this is a one to one thing here. So FreshBooks takes the headache out of invoicing your customers and really kind of beginning your accounting foundation here. It, it really is. You got to check it out. FreshBooks.com slash M-G-G. Super simple. And you get 30 days for free just by visiting that link. And it lets them know this is how you found out about it. and. We like that. They like that. You like that. It's good for everybody. Our thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. So I, I got to circle back to the Eero thing, John. I, I, I know we're done with like the, you know, the paid portion of the mention and, and, and that's fine. But, uh, but this is a fun thing to talk about and it's, it's pretty geeky at what they're doing, but the implementation is just, as I said, super, super simple. Uh, it actually, I believe it uses Bluetooth to uh to to add these things to your network so you, with your iPhone it just finds it you don't have to you know, there's no magic to it well there is magic it's it's bluetooth your phone finds this thing and then uh and then configures it over bluetooth until it can connect to it via wifi and it it just but it's that simple i mean it took you know probably 4 minutes to set up the first one and the next ones were even faster that's pretty cool how they're doing this any any questions about it, John? No, I uh, I'll have to. Uh, I've been hearing people chat about it. It's yeah. uh, you know the way it's the way things should be. I, I totally, Based on the feedback that I've heard is yeah. rather than you know painstakingly you know choosing channels and doing site surveys and stuff, it sounds like that's that, kind of what they're about. That's they're, exactly they're kind of doing yeah. all the heavy lifting for you, so you you know so it should work. It just As works. It <laughs> yeah. No, I have it. I have it running here um, at the house in the office. I actually have a connection and I mean, I'm overstressing this thing. I, you know, I set it up in the office and I have it running as a sub network right now because I was going to 
you know, I traveled like the day after this thing arrived and I didn't want to, you know, screw my family up and come home to, you know, change locks on the doors. So Wi-Fi is pretty important here. So I did, I just didn't want to risk anything, but I set it up as a subnetwork. And so I'm in double nap mode with it, but man, it just works. And so I set up the first one in the office and then I walked all the way across the driveway to the house and set up another, the second one there. And it meshed right over from the, I mean, wirelessly from the, the, the office to the house, you know, how far away that is. And, uh, and it worked fine. I was getting, you know, 75 megabits a second or something across the thing. I was like, oh, that's fast enough for, you know, Wi-Fi, And that's way worse of a setup than you would ever have in your home because I'm literally bridging it between two buildings, which is not what, you know, it's not built to do that. But, uh, but yeah, they got an ethernet ports on them and, uh, and a USB port on each one of them. I, from what I understand, I don't have all the details, but digging in kind of to what people have been writing about them on forums, these things are massively over-engineered. They've got, you know, gigabytes of, of flash storage on them. I believe they've got two sets of radios in there. Uh, and they're not, I don't, from, based on, again, some posts I've read, I got to find out more and I will, and I'll, I'll let you know, but it sounded like they aren't even using all the tech that they've put in these boxes. It's sort of for future-proofing. So it's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Somebody in the chat room is asking it's, um, each unit is 200 bucks a piece, or you can buy the three pack for four ninety nine. And again, you know, as I mentioned in the spot, MGG gets you free shipping, so free overnight shipping, I should say. Um, and which is not, I mean, it, it's, I think it's a fair price for it. You, you know, you're getting a very powerful setup. If you were to go buy, you know, a high end router, you'd pay 350, 400 bucks for one thing. And then you're easily paying another hundred, hundred and fifty for your extension. Well, with with this for five hundred bucks, you get three of them. So it's a, I think it's a good deal. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a fair deal. You know, if it was, you know, I mean, it, it, five hundred bucks. It's you know, and then you don't have to think about it. And for most homes, that that three pack would be, I think, more than enough, which is what you want. You just you know, and it's cool. You just plug it in, and and it finds itself. You don't have to think about it which is that's like you said that's the key so anyway yeah probably not for me since i have a small place and one one works fine for me right well and you've already solved this problem for yourself right i mean you you've gone through the geeky steps of sorting out exactly what you need and where it needs to be and all of that but uh for folks that haven't done that yet this this is the you know this is an easy answer so yeah it's cool now, had you ever looked, you know, this sounds like the, the, they've realized the promise. Did you ever uh, mess with an on-hub? No. Remember how Google said that yeah. this was going to be like, you know, the one, you know, Wi-Fi to... It sounds like it's kind of... I don't know. I think they're still selling it. And th their promise was, yeah, this is like an easy thing to set up and it's going to solve all your problems. But uh, I haven't... No, you're it, right. It seems it to have kind of faded... Yeah, Eero has has yes has delivered on that promise. That that that's a good or realize the promise is what you said. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, no, it's it it does that. It's that. Just don't think about it. Just you know, have Wi Fi. Isn't that what you want? All right, cool. Uh, I got a couple of cool stuff found things. Number one is from while well, we're on the subject of Wi Fi, although this cool stuff found isn't about Wi Fi. Uh, it's from uh, Alf Watt of iStumbler fame. And, uh, and it's called orange card and what it is, it's a, it's an, it's a Mac app. I believe it's 99 cents in the app store 
Have you checked out Orange Card yet, John? Not yet. This is the first I heard of it, and um, oh. and yeah, it's it's ninety nine cents. Uh, but from perusing it, it looks like it's get info on steroids. It'll tell you everything you wanted to know and things you don't want to know about whatever you you. Uh, drag on top of it. Yeah, that's what it is, right? It's a little app and you, you just drag things on top of it or you point it at a file, I suppose. Uh, but it's easier just to drag things on top and, and it shows you all the metadata, like in, insane amounts of it. So if you need, if metadata exists about a, uh, a file or application or anything, this will show all of it. If it doesn't show it, my guess is, it doesn't exist. So yeah, really, really handy app. I, I have no doubt that, you know, Alf needed something to do this for whatever he was working on at some point and said, well, I'll just write it. And there it is. So it's called orange card and we'll put a link of course in the show notes. But, uh, but I happily spent my 99 cents on it. I've already used it for a couple things and it's like, Oh, this is killer. Um, and then quitter from Marco Arment, uh, who, does all kinds of things he he writes well he was one of the i guess he was the the um core coder on tumblr certainly at its inception but but he's done all kinds of other things too he writes overcast the podcast player which i know a lot of you use and um and and all around you know kind of quality developer uh i believe this is the first mac app he's ever released and it's called quitter and it is available for free and what it does is it sits on your Mac in the background and monitors when the last time was you used an app and you can configure it and it won't do anything unless you tell it to. But for example, I can say, look, if I haven't used uh, Skype in five minutes, hide it for me. And I can say, if I haven't used, uh, you know, busy Cal in 30 minutes, quit it for me. Right. And it's a great way to just sort of keep your system. I've got apps and I know you do this too, where you just, you know, you run them and then you forget that they're running and they're using up RAM and that sort of thing. And yeah, OS 10 supposed to manage it, but yeah, OS 10 doesn't really do a great job at that. So, uh, so this just takes care of it and it'll, you know, I have it quit Safari if I haven't used Safari in, uh, in an hour, right. Which is a great way to make sure that it quits Safari for me overnight, because if I have, if you have Safari open for many days in a row, it just starts to chew Ram. So really handy. Uh, and it's, and, and like I said, it'll hide or quit apps on the schedule that you choose. And, it, and it's a per app schedule and there is no global default. So uh, you could run, run this thing and it's not going to muck with anything until you tell it to. And then you can also tell it, disable yourself, because I'm doing something and I don't want this to hide. So if I'm podcasting or whatever, I don't want Skype to go away. So, uh, you know, I just tell it, don't, don't do that now. So that's, uh, that's quitter. And it's, uh, you know, it's good stuff for free. You should check it out. I, uh, like I said, it's, it's become one of those things where I, I miss it when I don't have it on a, on a machine. So hmm. I'm going to toss something out that I just go. found Dave and I think is useful. So I got this special deal um, actually through one of my credit cards. And they're like, oh, because you're a valued, uh, I think it was Chase or I think it was Chase. But they're like, oh, because you're a valued uh, card member, um, we got this free album that uh, we'll let you download, uh, you know, from iTunes. And I'm like, oh, that, that that's kind of nice. I'll, I'll find which one it is. But um, in the process of doing that, um, and I was doing this on my iPhone, it's like, 
hey, do you want to add something called iTunes Pass to your wallet? And I'm like, oh, well, that's something I had not really heard of. I think I may have heard it mentioned, but I hadn't used it. Do you use iTunes Pass or do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the thing where when you get to an Apple store, you you can charge things to your iTunes account. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So apparently it's a, uh, so it adds a card to your wallet. Uh, For me, the nice part is that once you add the card to your wallet, so so it also gives you a barcode where I guess if you go to certain retailers, you can, um, well, I guess you could either draw on your balance or I guess you could add uh, funds depending on where you are and what you're trying to do. But the thing that I thought was neat, Dave, is that it shows me the balance in my iTunes account. Yes. On the card in real time. So I always know how much. And, you know, I got like right now I have you know, about 60 bucks. Oh, that's cool. Um, well, because I got some gifts and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but it, it's kind of neat to uh, know how much because I do have some things like my iCloud um, uh, drive that draws on my funds. And, you know, mm-hmm. it'll take me a while with what I'm paying for me to deplete my funds. But, I, but it, it's good for me to become aware of how much is, is in there. And it's only a, you know, a quick, you know, it just brings up the card yeah. you know, along with the other stuff in your wallet. That's cool. That was pretty neat. Yeah, it, cool, and it came about because, um, yeah, again, because I, I downloaded something and it offered and it said, Hey, you don't have this activated. You want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Cool. Cool. Um, all right. Tim has a tip from a, uh, well, I don't know. I put it in as a tip from this episode, so clearly I'm wrong on that unless Tim is uh, really prescient. But uh, <clears throat> he said, I think it was from the last episode, said I wanted to sl- suggest another potential solution for the issue of receiving calls on multiple devices when sharing an Apple uh, iCloud ID. I've seen the following setting affect this issue. Settings, phone, calls on other devices. On the next screen, you can allow calls on other devices as well as allow or disable calls on specific devices. And he showed us some screenshots of of reference. So he said, uh, you know, if you're sharing an Apple ID amongst devices, going in here and turning off some of that. The the, the issue we talked about last week was a little bit different. It was calls just showing up in the call log. And that was obviously being synced with iCloud Drive, as we mentioned. Uh, but, uh, But this is another one where if you are sharing that iCloud account, then this this can be the, uh, the the solution to keeping it from getting too crazy. So thank you, Tim. And now Adam with a related question. Hi, John and Dave and Pilot Pete. It's Adam calling from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I've got a really weird issue going on with my iPhone. It's an iPhone 6S. And uh, basically I'm receiving and sending ghost calls. Uh, about six weeks ago, I was at home watching a movie and my phone rang. It was sitting on the desk at the other end of the room. So I wasn't even near my phone and it rang and, uh, it was my mom calling and she said, Oh, sorry, I just missed your call. And, uh, I said, uh, well, I, I didn't call. And she said, sure you did just a few minutes ago, but I couldn't answer. And, uh, so we had a nice chat and then I asked her, I said, why don't you send me a uh, screenshot of the call history in the uh, phone app? So she did. And it shows that. Uh, I called her. My name and phone number show up in her call history when she said I called, but I know it wasn't me because I was watching a movie at the time and the phone was just sitting on the desk, so it couldn't have even been a butt dial. And then a couple of weeks after that, a similar thing, I get a text message from a buddy. He says, hey, what's going on? So I called him and he says, yeah, I just missed your call. And uh, 
I said I didn't call you. Uh, anyway, we chatted. He sent me a screenshot, and it shows that my phone called him. And at that time, my phone was just in my car. We were, I was driving. Um, and then uh, this past weekend, I got two phone calls from my sister while I was riding my motorcycle, so I couldn't obviously answer at the time. And I called my sister back um, later in the day when I had a chance to chat. And I said, hey, what's going on? Just returning your call. And she said, I didn't call you. And it shows in my call history and in hers that there are two calls from her phone to my phone that she knows she didn't make. Uh, the only common denominators here I can see with all these, with all three of these, in every instance, there's no voicemail that's left. It's just a, a phone call that hangs up. And um, but rings all the way through. Like it's not just a quick ring; it rings a few times and then and then ends. So that's one. The next one is they're all iPhone users, and the third is that they're all people I have designated in my favorites uh, in the iPhone uh, in the phone app. So I don't know if there's some kind of causation there or it's all just correlation. But I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, if you've come across it or if any of the other listeners have come across it, uh, I don't even know if there's a solution, but it's certainly a, a curious issue. Uh, with my phone making all these random phone calls to other people and receiving phone calls, it's making it really tough not to get caught. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I'm, I'm thrown for a loop. It, it, I mean, it sounds like his phone is the common denominator, uh, it, you know. Um, I think you and I ran into this once. Really? All right. Well, I'm pretty sure it was either I thought you called me or you thought I called you or I thought I called myself or no, but it, it was one of us had thought the other had called them. And I think it was that I thought I saw a call from you. Okay. And I called you back and I'm like, yeah, what's up? And you're like, I didn't call you. And I'm like, well, yeah it's in my log and i think you looked and you had it in your log too but you didn't yeah at the time i chalked it up to like a butt dial or you know whatever that is you know and i've done that too and the thing is i got to be very uh so, so you may want to be yeah a butt dial or i've done a pocket i'll call it a pocket dial well yeah but the right. thing is there are cases so i try to intentionally whenever i i put the phone into a storage, whether it be a pocket or, well, mostly a pocket. Um, I intentionally hit the power button to lock the screen so yep. that these things don't happen. The cases where I have pocket dialed people is where I wasn't, where, where I was using the phone and then for whatever reason, I didn't intentionally hit the power button to lock the screen. And then my pocket did some magic and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, somehow managed to, to call someone, um, I wonder, I wonder if disabling Hey Siri would make a difference for this. Oh, could. Oh, well, I guess Siri, if Hey Siri is enabled, it could. Say, say that slowly, though, when you say leave a beat between it, because otherwise our listeners hate us. Because we'll, we'll say things like, uh, hey, Siri, text my mom and tell him Mac Geek Cub is great. And now thousands of iPhones are, uh, are doing that. So sorry. At, at at your expense, folks. But yeah, so, um, but that, that you know, I mean, I'm just trying to think of all the ways you could trigger an iPhone to do something, and obviously that's one of them. So that's about that sounds reasonable again. Other than 
not locking it and engaging pocket or butt dial or whatever appendage uh, yeah. is touching the phone. Uh, <laughs> I don't use Hey Siri because I, uh, I'm very nervous about any voice technology doing things on my behalf because I don't want it to do the wrong thing. Sure. <laughs> sure. Like even some of these, you know, the, and they got the, you know, who, who is it now? Alexa is one of them. Yeah. You, know, you got all these, all these smart things that are listening to you all the time or some, you know, the TVs, whether you want I, it to I, or not. As an aside, um, every single person that I've talked to that has, um, but you know, an Amazon echo says that it's astounding the impact it makes on their lives. Everyone loves those things. Oh, so I, I got to check one out. I, it's, you know, it's, I've ignored it for too long. So I oh, will. All right. Yeah. And but I'm with Cortana. you. I mean, there's I'm, Cortana and I've seen the commercials and that seems to do clever things. Well, and Google has their new thing. They, they announced this week too. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's good. So, yeah, I don't, I wish we had a magic answer for you, Adam, but, um, if anybody, you know, has any additional thoughts, I'm looking in the chat room and I think, um, I think that's all we've got. Yes. Uh, Brian Monroe says Google home. So this is the thing that came out this week, but we don't know when it will ship. Thank you, Brian Monroe. MacGeekab.com slash stream is where you'd go if you want to join us. And we've got a full house this morning in the chat room. It's, uh, it's quite nice. So thank you everyone there. All right, moving on to a question from Michael, and hopefully we can answer this one or at least provide some guidance. He says, I have four email accounts, one iCloud, one Gmail, and two Fastmail. All of them are IMAP accounts, and therefore my belief is that when I delete an email on my iMac, that email will be deleted on my iPhone. But this is what I see. I do anything with mail on either my iPad, my iMac, or my MacBook Air, and all three of those devices reflect the change quickly. But my iPhone just sits there. There's mail on my iPhone in the Gmail and Fastmail accounts that no longer exists anywhere else. When I reboot my phone, it syncs once. Then when I get new mail, the phone gets out of sync again. Any thoughts on anything short of a full restore, treating it like a brand new iPhone? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. We've been through this before. Um, the, the obvious... Uh, perhaps not obvious, but the, the first thing that I would think of if I didn't know better would be to say, remove the mail accounts from your iPhone and re add them because that's what you want to do there. It's, it's pretty obvious uh, that this is likely the result of your iPhone caching the results of a previous state of your IMAP folders. And for whatever reason, it's not giving up on that cache. Well, here's the thing. And it's unfortunate those caches do not get deleted when you remove the mail account from the iPhone. So there's a mail account and there's a cache associated with it. You remove the mail account, the cache stays on your phone. You re-add the mail account and it looks at it by email address and server name. And so, or login and server name is what it appears the cache is. And it says, hey, I've already got a cache for that. Don't need to re-download anything. We'll use what we have. And there is no way to tell the phone, delete that cache, please. At least none that I've found. If any of you have found it, please let us know. Here's the good news. It's a cache and therefore it is not backed up with a backup. So if you do a backup of your phone and then wipe it fresh, don't just restore onto it. You know, like you could use iMazing to just restore a backup into an existing phone. 
that doesn't wipe out the caches. So you have to do a complete, you know, if you use iTunes, this will happen. You do a complete restore of the phone and then restore it from your, the backup you just made. It'll put all your stuff back out there, but the caches will have to be recreated because they're not part of the backup. And that should solve this problem for you. It's, it's, it's a frustrating path to a solution when, you know, if you could just get in there and delete that folder, all would be well, but, um, but this is the way to do it. So, uh, and this, this will work if, if it's a cash issue, this will solve it. And I'm 99% certain that that's your issue. So it's unfortunate, but that's how it works. That's how it may work. Okay. I'm going to offer you an alternative because I actually intentionally have my iOS devices not operate in real time. Now, you right. Be, I don't, you I don't be, either. And I've run into this problem. I, I don't have put, you're talking about push notifications. Is that right? Or, or that push is, mail? Well, what, uh, yeah. So that's, uh, so I just want to offer this because I think this may be part of a solution here is you may want to review. So the thing is, I actually came across this. I came across this in an article talking about, well, how do I maximize my iOS device battery life? And one way to do that is to not, so if you go into settings, mail, contact, calendars, you're going to see a thing saying fetch new data. Yeah. Now, you could globally set it to do push, but you can also individually on each of your accounts also set how uh, things are communicated from the server. Uh, the reason I changed it, so I actually turn off push and I have it on fetch, which is more of a manual thing. Uh, what I'm suggesting is you may want to look in that section to see if you have set up your device to not operate in real time. The thing is, push is nice if it's critical that you see whatever is, if it's critical for you to have your device and whatever's happening on the server be in sync, like to the minute or to the second. But if not, I mean, the, the good news is that, that that offers that benefit. Push offers that benefit. The bad news is that it sucks battery because it's always doing all this busy work in the background, um, talking to the server, right? I just right. want to offer that. So, so check right. that setting. I mean, if that setting, if push is off or your individual accounts are set up to not push, then you're going to see this happen. I'm, I'm just saying that. Yeah, but that's not, that's not his issue. I, I, get, I get where you're going with this is, is that if you want to see it, it happened in real time, but like, for example, Gmail, there is no option for push. It is fetch, right? You, you, you can look and you will see no option for push for Gmail uh, on the iPhone. There's only certain accounts that can do push iCloud and Yahoo, I think are uh, and, and exchange act active sync are, uh, are the only ones. So with Gmail, it's, it's sort of a, it's not even a discussion point, right? You have to do fetch with, uh, with Gmail on the iPhone. But, um, but that's not, I mean, I, I get where you're going, but that's not his issue. His issue is he tells it to sync mm. and it doesn't sync, it, you know, or it sinks, but doesn't show what's happening. Mm. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just want to offer it as a, yeah. So not for the specific one, but, um, and also just to talk about maximizing your battery. <laughs> you're right. No, you know, yeah, it, um, put, yeah, push. I think it gets more of a bad rap than it deserves uh, in terms of battery life. I don't think it hurts as much as most people think, but I, I mean, it's would, it would stand to reason that it probably hurts some, especially if it's an account 
that gets a lot of email, right? Where it's constantly pushing, you know, the, the, the data down. So, yes, yeah, I've just become aware of it as of late because I try to get a day on a charge. And I noticed this using, um, coconut batteries that the success only has like six and 1600 milliamp hours or so yeah. of battery yeah. in it. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's tough to get a day out of it, at least for me, the, the way I use it. Um, Especially if you don't have Wi-Fi, then I think you're almost certain to burn, <laughs> burn through a charge in a day. Yeah, right, right, right. It makes sense. And you know, the um, I'm looking at my phone and I'm realizing in those in those fetch or fetch slash push settings where you go into like you said settings, mail contacts, calendars, and then fetch new data. Um, mine had push turned on, despite the fact that I don't have push on for any of my uh, email addresses. Except it had turned it on for iCloud. Uh, and so, but what was interesting is in iCloud, it said push, but then you can pick which mailboxes are push. I guess it always pushes the inbox. And then, uh, and then you can pick any other of your mailboxes to also be pushed down to you. Uh, since I don't use iCloud mail on my iPhone, I've changed that to manual. So you might want to check that setting, even if you think that you've configured it in the past, because, uh, because I, I know I had configured it in the past and there it is sitting there, um, at, uh, on and, um, and yeah, that way. So I've, I've changed it and I do, I leave my fetch on as hourly. I don't, I don't need it going nuts on that for me. In fact, it keeps me from being, I don't, I don't get notifications when I get email unless it's email from my VIPs group, which is another great little tip. Uh, and also we'll walk through that. So settings, I believe it's mail contacts and calendars, right? And uh, no, actually that, that is in stuff's all over the place. So if you go to settings, notifications and go to mail, and I'm getting there to make sure I'm sending you in the right place. You can pick what you get notified on and, uh, and you can tell it to have just VIP notifications or all notifications and you can tell it which account. So I, on my accounts, I have them all out of notification center and, uh, and then VIPs, I get badges and banners so that if a VIP emails me, I get that, but nothing else. And it's, uh, I, it keeps, you know, it keeps me from being distracted too much. All kinds of crazy settings. Squirrel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk while we're on the mail subject. Let's, let's go to Mark here. Mark has, uh, has a question about signatures. He says some questions, if I may. And, uh, the first is he says, I have a signature I use for work with images and it has some extra lines in it that I want to get rid of, but editing the signature in mail to remove them does not work. I've recreated it but the extra lines above and below the logo keep reappearing. So, yeah, um, I had not heard about this, John, but I did some digging, and it seems like this is a known issue. Mail essentially creates an HTML web archive uh, for each rich text signature that you create in Mail. Uh, and that means any signature into which you're embedding an image uh, becomes rich text. So it, 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 it does this and creates a web archive. The problem is that mails HTML editor is not perfect. And, uh, Oh, 
Um, well, this is uh, interesting. I just lost my audio. And so I'm going to pause things here. Okay, we are back. Um, this was a weird thing. So, John, we, we just lost uh, five to ten minutes there where my machine, and it sounds like your machine as well, just wedged up. Right, John? Well, my uh, all of a sudden I noticed uh, one process was consuming lots of processor and it actually turns out to be colloquy for whatever bizarre reason. You're right. And I was right. getting the spinning. So I quit it. I don't know if that was the cause of uh, it. It was unusual. The thing is I quit it and started it and everything seems to be fine. I don't think that caused the meltdown on your end. Oh, it was the same. That's what I'm trying to tell you is it was the same meltdown uh, on this end. And, um, what you had colloquy wedge on you? Yes. At exactly really? the same time you did. Yeah. So yeah, colloquy wedged and which is the IRC program that we use to connect to our, our chat room. And three is the latest version. What's that? I'm just, I'm just making sure I got the latest. I'm running two, four, three, which they claim is the latest. I yeah. But it's gotta be something with the server. Uh, if we both had the same thing. And for me, it was that it had been consuming Ram uh, quite egregiously for a long time. So I could see that when, when it all wedged up, it wasn't that colloquy wedged up. It was that my system had wedged, but from running out of Ram and was swapping and, you know, thrashing uh, as much as one system can thrash on an SSD uh, like crazy. So uh, it took me a while before my system would reply to a force quit. And then I finally was able to force quit, uh, colloquy and and went from having zero megabytes of free RAM to seven gigabytes of free RAM. You'll understand that's bad. So, yeah, I might need to find more I, a different IRC client. Man, this is weird. So anyway, I never had an issue with it. Same, I know, but the fact that we both had it at the same time—that's um, that's weird, man. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know. Um, something is something is weird with our timestamps now. My my whole um, my whole system got kind of foobarred by that. So, uh, yeah. All right. So, um, let's see. Uh, let's see. I don't know where we are. We were uh, we were talking about. Mail signatures, I believe. So let's yes. let's resume that. Yep. Okay. So mail's HTML editor adds um, these unwanted lines. It's not. Uh, it's it's not. It's not the best HTML editor, and and all HTML editors kind of have to take what you're typing and make some assumptions about how to format that because there's many different ways to format things in HTML, and unfortunately, mail's does this with it, with some images, um, and there's all sorts of forum posts about it and and all and that kind of thing. Uh, each signature uh, is stored as a separate file, as I mentioned. I've got a forum post here, or not a forum post, a um, a, a thing at mydesignpad.com that's a few years old, but talks about editing and creating your own signature file that you format yourself 
and then plug in to the same spot that it exists. So what you do is you create one in mail that's as sort of a placeholder. And then effectively you go and edit that file. And so mail's already linked to it. It knows that it's supposed to be there and it, it knows everything it needs to know about it. But the HTML is now yours to edit. So we'll put a link to that in, um, in the show notes here. And hopefully that will, uh, that will, that will deal with that. So there we go, Mr. Braun. What do you think about that? Not much. Huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, then I think it's time to talk about our second two sponsors. Unless John, you have any uh, any reason not to? No. Let's talk. All right. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a custom fitted shirt? I never had. I've had a custom fitted suit. That's pretty cool. You know, and they tailor it up for you and measure it and, you know, snug it up just the right way. So it fits perfectly. But I never had a custom fitted shirt. That seemed like a crazy uh, extravagance to me. Well, recently that changed and it's because of our sponsor M Taylor. That's the letter M T A I L O R M Taylor works by using your iPhone. Okay. You download their app. And then you go through this fitting process, but the fitting process just involves you leaning your iPhone against the wall on the floor. And then you put your arms up in the air and it walks you through this. It takes all of about 30 seconds and you spin around once. And then they use that video to create your size profile. Uh, Super easy. They say it's 20% more accurate than a professional tailor. I believe it uh, because they can, you know, they know how tall you are. They know how far away from the thing you are. It's, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. And then you get to pick, not only are they sizing the shirt for you, but you get to pick what the shirt is going to look like, right? You get to pick your fabric, you know, obviously what color you want it to be or the pattern on, on the shirt, how you want the collar done. You get to pick whether you want it slim fit or loose fit. And they even asked me during the process, what wrist do you wear your watch on? And one of the answers, of course, was none if you don't wear a watch. But uh, I chose left wrist because that's where I wear my watch. And they made that cuff a little bit bigger just to make it easier to slide that cuff on and off. Really, really smart stuff. No questions asked returns if you aren't 100% satisfied. So they'll either remake the shirt for you for free and update your size profile, by the way, so that the next thing you get is built for you even better. Uh, Or they'll give you your money back. So you got nothing to lose. And here's the thing. 69 bucks is the price that these shirts start at. And you get to save $15 off of that by using coupon code MGG. So these shirts are arguably going to cost you less than you might spend in the store for a comparable shirt. And this one's tailored to you. So check it out. M Taylor, the letter M T A I L O R.com. From there, you can download the app or you can just go to the app store and get the app and then use coupon code MGG to save 15 bucks off your order i think you're gonna love it i've I've been really blown away so uh our thanks to m taylor for sponsoring this episode do you have a website squarespace our sponsor here makes it super easy to set up a website the first thing you do is just go to squarespace.com go to squarespace.com slash mgg in fact that tells them that we sent you and that's a good thing uh and then just go play around Uh, It's super easy. You're just going to pick a template before you even give them your name or the name of the site or your email address or anything. 
you're just going to start picking what you want your site to look like in a general sense. You know, what kind of layout you want. That's what their templates do. And then you start customizing it. You bring in your own pictures. You give it a name, all of that stuff. Their templates work on everything. They work on your iPhone. They work on your Mac. They work on somebody else's iPhone and Mac, somebody else's Android phone. They're built so that whatever platform someone is using to view it is going to look great. They spend a ton of time on this. And once you've got it figured out, then, uh, then you launch your site. When you're ready to launch your site, use coupon code MGG. You save 10%. And here's the thing. Their, their prices are very, very inexpensive. Their plans start at 8 bucks a month. That's before the 10% you save. And uh, if you sign up for a year, you get a free custom domain. So whatever you want your domain name to be, as long as it's, you know, it's available and somebody else isn't using it, then you're good to go. And you're going to sign up for a year. You don't want to move your website every two months or something. So just do that and then you know, take advantage of the free domain. Their customer support's outstanding. Uh, 24-7 customer support. Every single person that will be there to help you is an experienced Squarespace user. They're not just employees. They use the software themselves. And when I say software, I mean the whole engine, the, the web engine is how it works. And that's it. You're, there is no software for you to download. It's all hosted by Squarespace makes it really easy. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG coupon code MGG saves you 10%. You can't go wrong. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, I think it's time to, uh, to talk to Louie here because Louie has, uh, has some, has an interesting question. So I'll, I'll start this off. I think you deleted all of my stuff from our, uh, from our, our no. Evernote room here. No, it's at the top. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there. I don't know. I'll, I'll find it. It's the latest thread. Lewis or Lewis. Yeah, Lewis. but, but it, your thread doesn't have my notes. Oh, yeah, it does. Never mind. I see it. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right, good. Um, so Louis says, and, uh, and I have to drop an anchor here, and our, our, now our timestamps are all screwed up because, uh, because I lost my timestamping when we had that issue. That, that I don't understand, by the way, why I would have lost our timestamping when I have that issue, when we had that, uh, that issue, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. Uh, anyway, Louis says, I'm an amateur photographer and I take lots of pictures in raw format. I process my pictures in Lightroom, but I also use other software to process them, such as Photoshop, Photomatics, Aurora, Nick collection softwares, and others. Uh, I enjoy working on pictures but I'm getting annoyed at the long process time that it's involved with my workflow. I estimate two to three minutes processing time is the longest. When you're processing a thousand pictures, that's a lot of waiting. I already took care of reducing read and write times by using a RAID 0 SSD array via Thunderbolt. I'm hitting 800 megabytes per second, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. Uh, he says, so my next step, as you might have guessed, would be to invest in a new machine. My current one is not that old in Mac years, but I think I'm getting pretty much set to buy a new one. Currently, he has, um, uh, actually, I don't know what he has because you lost the screenshot in here. But anyway, uh, he says, I'm considering four options. A new 27-inch iMac, a new Mac Pro. I got to find out what it is. Oh, yeah. So it's a uh, late 2012 27-inch iMac that he has with a 3.4 gigahertz Intel Core i7 processor and uh, 16 gigs of RAM. So he says he's looking at a new 27-inch iMac or a new Mac Pro. Uh or wait for the new Mac Pro, if one ever comes, or the new MacBook Pro, which is likely to come pretty soon. He says, I understand enough memory as a given. My questions are, which machine would give me the fastest processing speed? 
Uh, I understand that a potentially new Mac Pro is highly speculative, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, the Mac Pro versus other Macs. Would it be significantly better? And I know from what I read uh, that going with six to eight or 12 cores will give marginal gain because of multi-threading capacity of Lightroom. So to keep it simple, let's assume quad core because my wallet is also leaning toward quad core. Is there any significant gain to get from a better video card without necessarily getting the fastest CPU? Well, yeah, uh, I think we both have some advice here, John. But um, the first question I would ask is your current machine maxing out its CPU or GPU when doing the processing. You've already solved some of your issues by getting a faster drive, right? This RAID 0 SSD thing with 800 megabytes a second of throughput. That's good, right? But now that you've got that faster throughput, um, is your CPU maxing out or your GPU maxing, maxing out, right? Because it's possible that, that Lightroom is using uh, both. Uh, it's also possible more RAM could help. You know, take a look at your memory consumption and, uh, and iStat menus or, you know, menu bar stats, any of those are make it, make it really easy to do that. Um, make sure if you're using iStat menus and, and especially, you know, with, with this problem we just had with Colloquy, iStat menus by default sort of follows OS X's paradigm of, of showing inactive memory as free by default, but you can uncheck that box. If you go into iStat menus and memory, there's a box that says show inactive memory is free. Uncheck that because inactive and free are two very different things. Yes, inactive can be purged, but it's not a guarantee that it will be. So seeing how much free RAM your Mac has uh, that's truly free can can be a helpful metric. So so check that out. But um, if your workflow is CPU or GPU bound at this point, right? You've you've sped up your your access to files. Now you have to take a look and see. You know, if the CPU is is the bottleneck or the GPU is the bottleneck, then yeah, a new computer is what you need. Um, whether or not GPU is more important than CPU depends a lot on what type of processing you're doing. And again, using something to monitor both, and iStat menus will show you the uh, GPU usage, uh, will help you sort of decide. So I guess I guess my advice is take a look at what's slowing you down still. It's taking two to three minutes. That means you've got plenty of time to go and look at what the, where the bottleneck is. And then from there, make a sort of a more informed decision about what it is that's slowing your workflow down. And again, you know, as always, this is sort of meta advice. It's not just for Louis, it's for all of us. Whenever we're looking at something, it's, it's easy to say, yes, shiny new, faster, better. And that's, then there's, you know, I mean, there's time for that, but, uh, but if you're really trying to solve a problem, I would hate for you to go get shiny new faster, better and find that, well, it is shiny new and in many ways better that for your workflow, it's not faster. And if that's the most important problem to solve, then figuring out what it, what it will take to solve that is the key. So that's, that's my thoughts on this, John. What do you think? I have, I have some additional thoughts. So okay. one, I'm not sure if you can... I mean, iStat menus will show GPU. It'll show frames per second and how much of your VRAM you're using. I'm right. not sure if it, it'll actually show the utilization, or at least I'm not seeing it on my, my current installation. But, uh, but that's not important. Or maybe you could find what I'm missing here. But what is important so he said, uh, so 
As far as the advice here, I don't do really enough photo processing to really worry about. Uh, I, I don't max out my system doing photos. Sure. Um, but if you do a lot of processing or you do workflows, and it sounds like he's doing that in uh, Photoshop, well, good Lightroom. news. And they call Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, or at least that's oh the yeah 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 gotcha okay found. yep. So Adobe Photoshop Lightroom has this dandy support article called GPU troubleshooting and FAQ, and it gives a whole boatload. And, and I would say this is this would be a place to start to learn whether a GPU will help you in your workflow. And the good news is that yes, it does, <laughs> um, or at least Lightroom or Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, can take advantage of a GPU. What's a GPU? Uh, well, a GPU is a graphics processing unit. And if you're doing photos, well, duh, um, you can do things faster if the software is smart enough to find the GPU and utilize it. The thing is, with Photoshop Lightroom, uh, there are several. So, so they have some advice here. So, so they give some guidance. So one, you want to have OpenGL 3.3 installed. Uh, OpenGL is a graphics layer. Uh, and, and I think you have that. A 64-bit OS, which you should be running with if sure. you're running Mac OS X. And then they suggest you probably want to have at least a gig of VRAM. And that's something you can find if you look at uh, the stats of your system. The more, the better is their guidance here. But then they say, all right, by the way, here are the ones that you want. And you're either going to have, at least on a Mac, an AMD card, NVIDIA, maybe a, a, an NVIDIA or an Intel integrated graphics. And they give guidance as far as ones that aren't supported because they're too wimpy or too oddball. Uh, so go there. The thing is, a GPU can do many graphics things, you know, filtering and blurs and all that fun stuff way faster than a CPU. So... Um, that's the guidance I offered there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so check that out when you're considering buying a Mac. I would think in general, the integrated chipsets, like for example, the one that I have on my Mac mini, the Intel, those are relatively wimpy because I think they typically use system RAM versus special VRAM. So getting a dedicated, you know, big boy graphics card, big boy or big girl graphics card, uh, would, would serve you better. Yeah. I think for, for doing the photo processing. And then, like you said, you know, and, and, and then I think we, we went back and forth and we actually got some screenshots and some feedback saying, oh, okay, well, you know, on my current installation, you know, I'm doing some photo processing stuff and here's what I see on my CPU utilization. Right. And we were like, um, then there was a question, well, am I using half or, and as it uh, turns hang out, on, the way- yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's, let's explain what you're talking about here. So it, yeah, he was seeing that he, um, had uh, where, where is it here? He he was seeing he has a four a four core machine right now, and he was seeing that uh, iStat menus was saying he had uh three hundred fifty two percent used, and he was trying to decide if that three hundred fifty two percent of the CPU being used meant that he was using three hundred fifty two of four hundred percent right because one hundred percent per CPU or mm. three hundred fifty two of 800%. And iStat menus on that machine and on many machines of, of that ilk will report eight CPUs because your CPU in that machine supports hyperthreading, which effectively in some instances allows 
one core to become two, sort of. So iStat Menus is reporting that out of 800%. And you can see that if you consolidate it all into one graph, you can see that the graph is sitting at, you know, about 50% as opposed to about 100%. And that's that's a that's a handy thing to have because you'll know, I've got four cores. Why does it show eight? Well, because that's kind of how it works. One handy thing to do would be in iStat Menus, and this will make your menu bar really big, but it'll help is you can uh, uncheck the box that says in the CPU and GPU section, you can uncheck the box that says combine cores into one item um, so that you can see all of the cores represented separately. And you can also uncheck the box uh, to combine logical hyperthreading cores uh, so that you really are seeing whether it's using the main core or the, what I'll call the alternate, the hyperthreaded core. And if it's ma- it might be that whatever it's doing cannot use the hyperthreading for this. So you might be at 352 of 400 because the hyperthreading cores might be sitting there dormant, whereas the actual cores are there, you know, working really, really hard. So that's um, it's a it's a good way to look at it. You'll see if if you uncheck both of those boxes, you will see. um eight cores across the top of your screen and they will alternate. It'll be regular hyper-threading, regular hyper-threading, regular hyper-threading, regular hyper-threading. And for mine, I'm seeing, for example, at the moment, we're not doing a ton, but on my cores, I see see 33, 1, 12, 1, 11, 1, 13, 0, which tells me my, I mean, none of my cores are taxed, but my hyper-threading cores are not being used at the moment. So iStat can really kind of give you some insight into that. And of course, my menu bar is now like, you know, six inches wide or something with just cores because I'm seeing eight of them at the top. But that's a handy way to do that in iStat menus. Make sense? Indeed. Cool. And then the second guidance, which processor should I get? Uh, I think, and this was actually something that was submitted in a, in a question that we had in the past, I would say look at the Geekbench Mac benchmarks, because it's kind of hard to tell based on the processor, you know, i7, i5, two core, uh, how much oomph do you get? And I think these benchmarks really boil it down to show you, you know, what your best choice is mm. for what you're trying to do. Cool. Um yeah, I mean, the I, several iMacs, you know, have plenty of horsepower to do what you want. Um, you know, I think the question was, do I need a Mac Pro? And I would say probably not. I don't think it's going to... You're not going to get as much bang for the buck, in my humble opinion, with a, a Mac Pro. You're going to be paying Apple more money, which, you know, uh, I don't mind that, you know, as a stockholder, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not but, our advice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But again, the bang for a buck, I think uh, one of the, uh, you know, iMac with an i7 multi-core... Uh, should make you happy. And it sounds like it already has. He's not maxing. He's not maxing out his processor currently. So. Right. 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 All right. Um, we're at one twenty two on this. We've had some distractions in this show. So this one is going to run a little long. We're going to do one more question because we're on the subject. Uh, and this might take a little time. So I don't think it's going to be a two minute question. It might be a five minute question, um, but it's PJ and PJ says, I keep hearing the words hackintosh. And I'm not writing to ask how. I'm writing because I've been using a Mac for 15 years and have always used a portable. I'm looking to rethink my strategy and use a throw and throw a stationary Mac and rely on cloud syncing to make sure I have all my stuff all the time. The current Mac Pro doesn't seem that appetizing to me, 
and I'm looking to build a Hackintosh to give me high CPU power for video conver- conversion and stuff. My current Retina MacBook Pro from 2012 has seen load averages up to 15, and that is my main motivation. Should I consider an iMac? I have a very nice screen right now. Should I consider a Mac Mini, or should I Hackintosh it? And he says, uh, I'm not sure if you'll bring this up on the show, and I'm not sure if Hackintosh is the right topic to bring up on the show. Happy to talk about it. We've talked about him before. The idea, just in case anybody hasn't heard the term, the concept of a Hackintosh is simply building a machine with uh, third-party parts, all third-party parts, nothing from Apple, and then getting OS X to run on it. And that's sort of the trick. There is a wide and and um, very active community working uh, to make this Hackintoshing possible and, and relatively easy. But the problem is you're not always going to be able to be up to date with your um, with your OS because the, the Hackintosh software has to run. Uh, you know, you're using all sorts of different drivers because you've got different motherboards and different hardware. And so when say 10, even when 10.11.5 comes out, you need to go check and make sure that you're, you know, whatever distribution of Hackintosh stuff you're using can handle it. Um, otherwise, you might do an update and now your system doesn't boot anymore. So so that's sort of one of the, the big downsides is is you have to actively manage the updates on your system and be really careful about that. But as you said, you can get some processing power out of a machine that you simply can't get from Apple. You can use different graphics cards. You can uh, really kind of tweak out your machine. So, so that, that part of it, I, I think, it, you know, if you're willing to, to take that uh, responsibility on, you'll also need to be running unsigned drivers because uh, a lot of these drivers that, uh, you know, are built for Hackintosh are not going to be signed by Apple. That's sort of the whole point. Uh, but as long as you're okay doing that, you know, there's a minor security risk, but it's not that huge. Uh, you know, then I, I think a Hackintosh is okay. Um, in terms of your, your idea about moving from a laptop only setup to adding a stationary Mac and going with cloud syncing, uh, I think you'll be fine. You know, I used to be just like you where my main Mac was, a laptop because I needed to be able to have at least some of my stuff with me when I traveled. And of course, cloud syncing, you know, didn't exist. Uh, all, all didn't always exist. So, uh, so I, I did that, but I, I moved to that. I don't know what, eight years ago or something. Uh, and there's lots of great cloud syncing options. Now, as you know, you know, Dropbox and iCloud drive even works very, very well. So you could, you could get away with that. And I do, and I don't even think about it. You know, I, I, traveled yesterday and I didn't even have to stop and think, Oh, do I have my data with me? Well, of course I do it. it the, uh, everything I need is already set up to sync between all my computers and it just worked and, and everything was fine. So yeah, I think, I think you're fine these days going to that kind of a paradigm. So what do you, uh, what do you think about this whole thing, John? Oh, well, I'm a bit biased since I have just got a new refurb mini. <laughs> sure. I have my own screen. So that's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I looked at the iMac. I, I just kind of like the feeling that I, you know, put the thing together myself and I have my own keyboard on my own trackball and mm. and all of that. So the iMac, uh, although my, my parents, you know, they have one and they're really happy with it. Uh, just not 
not for me at this point. What do you think about Hackintosh? <sighs> I'm, I mean, I can appreciate the spirit of wanting to put your own system together and kind of breaking the rules or bending the rules, but uh, it just makes me nervous because if Apple does one little thing here or there, then it's broken. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they do some, if they do some minor little tweak here or there in the OS or an update or something, and I've heard of this happening and you know, I mean, that's the risk you take, then all of a sudden everything's broken. Yep. And uh, now what? Well, and that, so, I mean, uh, that's where safety and numbers comes in, right? But, but you can't do your update without checking in with some of the resources. Uh, I believe it was uh, Furby's in our chat room linked to Tony Mac X 86.com. And which of course we'll put in the show notes. But uh, but you you know you need to have a resource, a place where you check uh, that you know what it is you're doing, and make sure that that you know others have paved that path for you. And then these people do, and it's I mean it's fantastic that they do, quite frankly. But uh, but they've got a buyer's guide for Mac eighty for uh, Hackintosh there, and and an installation guide and all that stuff. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, I, yeah. It's just not 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 for me, and and there is a risk involved. I, I wouldn't have a Hackintosh as my primary machine. Hmm. I don't think that was the suggestion, though. Well, yeah, I I know people that do. I mean, we have listeners no, that do, right. but you know, again, it's it's you have to have a reason for doing it, uh, and and I mean, the reason could be that you simply want that, and 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 that's fun, and I totally get it. Uh, you know, you know me, I'm a geek. One could be cost. Right, because you can probably build a machine for, in fact, much less than you'd get the same specs from Apple. And then the other is you can't get those specs from Apple. You know, you want a monster graphics card. Apple doesn't. You know, they're really not uh, at the forefront of that right now. Oh no, no. You know, so if you if you if there's something that you know, especially for for what PJ's saying, you know, if that's what you want, well then go. You know, get it or even Louie, uh, you know, it's not necessarily my first recommendation for him in the previous thing. But, you know, if you if you realize that it's your GPU that that needs to be faster, well, maybe the Hackintosh is is the key. But again, you know, know what you're buying into. So. Or heck, uh, a Chromebook, maybe. You may have seen a little news article that actually claims that uh, Chromebook sa- Chromebook sales are just going bananas. I would never. Are you seriously recommending a Chromebook? Uh, for n- not for a uh, for 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 a, a not for a primary machine. But okay. I, I've I've entertained it. You know, I've seen them in my local warehouse store, and and I, I'm I'm tempted sometimes because some of them are you know under. I've seen some for under two hundred dollars if they're yeah. like on clearance or something like that. Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not a powerhouse, you know. <laughs> No, it doesn't. No, but there, but, yeah. but for 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 something to have if you're out and about, maybe, huh? I mean, again, the price is right. I mean, oh, yeah. Apple Apple can't match the price. Apple does not have right a two hundred dollar solution. Yeah, no, I I'm I I'm with you. I just kind of wanted to. I wasn't sure if you were joking or if you were serious. Oh no, I've I, I've, I've seen offerings. Uh, Asus and some others yeah. uh, at some of the shows that I've gone to where I'm like, wow, you know, that's actually for the money. Uh, yeah. Compelling, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, again, backup solution, not, not a primary solution. I still love uh, my primary machine is, is my MacBook pro. Okay. I think it always will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way you, 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 um, 
you sort of bounce around your house with it. And, um, yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, it, it's weird for me now that, you know, that we're talking about this. It's weird for me to think that my primary machine is an iMac because for so long it was a laptop, but it was a mostly stationary laptop. It was, you know, a, a, a desktop machine that was docked up to everything that I could then take with me in a limited capacity. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting times, John. It's cool stuff. I think it's, uh, I think it's safe to play the music. Fun show. A little bit nuts with the, uh, whatever that colloquy wedge is. I got to be honest with you. I'm watching my Ram slowly slip away again. Kernel task is up by another gig since, uh, really? Since, yeah. Now yeah. that I saw too during our meltdown. There. Right. I saw the kernel task, but, um, my Ram seems to be. Well, what did I okay. say? I had, I had seven gigs free, right? Six and a half, seven gigs free when, when we came back from the meltdown and the recording never stopped by the way. I mean, it, I didn't reboot. Uh, I just quit colloquy and, and that was that. Um, huh. And now I'm at four and a half gigs, four and a quarter gigs free. So, I mean, it is slipping away here. And uh, actually, you know, I'm going to test this. So I'm going to quit colloquy again and see what that goes to. So four and a quarter gigs free. Colloquy is gone. Come on. Refresh. Let's go. Well, no apparent change. How is that possible? That quitting an app would do nothing. Well, give it time. Settle yeah. down, Beavis. No, yeah. it just didn't change anything, so I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kernel task. And that that's that's one of those things where it's tough. Um, it, depending on how an app loads and manages its its resources, the RAM usage that shows in something like iStat Menus won't necessarily all like all of the RAM being used by an app won't be attributed just to the app. A lot of times it's attributed to kernel task because it's, you know, the OS loading all these frameworks and resources. And I had that same problem with Twitter when it was, I don't know if the OS 10 Twitter app, the, the, the native one or not native, but the Twitter's app on OS 10 would store all kinds of stuff in kernel task. And, you know, you, Twitter would say it was using, you know, or I stepped in and say Twitter were using 200 megs or 300 megs or something of RAM and then you'd quit it and watch kernel task drop by like four gigs or something. I was like, Hey, guess what? Sweet. Yeah. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you can send in your thoughts, comments, questions, cool stuff, founder tips. And we would love to hear from you. It is what we do. We live to hear from you. We love it. I concur, but I, I instead would probably use feedback at MacGeekGab.com. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Unless you're a premium listener, and then it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. That is for you, the premium listeners that support us directly. Uh, we pay a little more attention to that box. We answer everything, or at least we try to. But the premium you know, gets the nod. And some uh, premium listeners that we heard from in this episode were Brian with the TP-Link comment, Tim with his uh, mysterious calls, Louie, and PJ, so thank you to all of you, and thank you to everyone that uh, that supports us in every way that you can by supporting our sponsors or, or supporting us premium and helping out in the chat room and 
all of it. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. We have an awesome community here, and that's one of the things I love about going to speak for user groups is I kind of get to see everybody, or not everybody, but uh, I get to see a segment of our community, and it always energizes me and reminds me of um, just how awesome everybody is. So it's really, it's a good thing. I had a fun time this week. Um, especially down in Houston this weekend. So thanks for the, thanks for your hospitality down there too. Two two four eight 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 geek is the new number to call. It's only new as of it's not new of, like this week. It's new as of uh, what a month ago or so. And John Geek is four three three five. That's correct. You can find us on Facebook. You want to talk about our community? That's one place that it exists in a in a very kind of meta form is in our Facebook group where everybody helps each other out. That's at MacGeekab.com slash Facebook is the easiest way. That'll redirect you there. And you're good to go. I want to thank everyone at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for uh, providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And of course, everyone in our podcast marketplace, of course, our sponsors for this episode, Eero at eero.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG gets you free shipping. You got to check that out. FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG, where you get 30 days free there. mtaylor.com, where uh, coupon MGG saves you 15 bucks. And of course, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where... Coupon MGG saves you 10%. In addition, the folks in our podcast marketplace include, of course, Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old stuff and buy new stuff or buy used stuff. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. And of course, Barebones Software at barebones.com. Tell him, John. I'm going to tell him because you're back, Dave. So we all know what that means is that if Dave is back, that means that he didn't get caught. Made up.